0: Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, Let Me See Again, and it's based upon the lectionary readings for October 28, 2018. About a year ago, my now 16-year-old son had a biking accident on his way home from school. He remembers the crowded bike lane. He remembers a boy in front of him stopping suddenly. He remembers plowing into that boy's bike. And he remembers waking up on the ground— He doesn't know how much later, with a cracked helmet, a few scrapes, and a headache. That headache, officially diagnosed as daily chronic headache and migraine without aura, hasn't gone away now for 13 months. That's how long my son has been out of school, unable to participate in the extracurricular activities he loves. That's how long he's been confined, sometimes for days on end, to his darkened bedroom with ice packs on his forehead. Needless to say, we've seen several physicians and tried many medications and alternative therapies. Everyone who knows and loves my son has prayed and is still praying. But at the time of this writing, the headaches persist. I share this story to explain the ambivalence with which I come to this week's gospel reading. Like many contemporary Christians, I struggle with the New Testament's healing stories. I don't distrust them exactly. I don't doubt that Jesus healed the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the leprous. But I don't quite know what to do with the miracle stories either. Should I read them as metaphors for spiritual healing and renewal? Should I take them literally, but only as unique first-century proofs of Jesus' deity? Should I regard them as myths from a pre-scientific era? Or should I, as I was taught to do as a child, believe that miraculous healings continue to this day, and that Jesus and the God's children have every right to pray for them, expect them, and proclaim them? I don't know. All I can say is that I struggle. I don't want to leap to metaphor too quickly, when it's clear in the Gospels that Jesus cared about the physical, embodied lives of everyone he met. But I also don't want to hold that false hope to anyone, including my son. I suppose one easy out would be to say, well, healing happens when it's God's will. Perhaps that caveat works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. As far as I can tell, Jesus never said no to anyone who asked him for physical healing. And frankly, I can't stomach the possibility that Jesus wants my son to be in life-altering pain right now, for some divine purpose God has yet to reveal. Neither does it help me to differentiate between healing and cure. When Jesus healed a lame man, the man literally stood up and walked. When he healed a bleeding woman, her bleeding actually ceased. In the Gospel story, spiritual healing and physical cure happen simultaneously, so it doesn't feel honest to separate them from my 20th century intellectual comfort. All that said, this week's Gospel reading features a healing story, one of the more famous ones in the New Testament. A blind man named Bartimaeus sits by the roadside, begging for alms. As Jesus and a large crowd pass by, the the man begins to shout, "'Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me!' Those standing nearby try to shut him up, but their reprimands only prompt Bartimaeus to shout louder. Finally, Jesus stops, stands still, and asks the same people who had just scolded the blind man to lead him forward. They obey. "'Take heart, get up, he's calling you,' they tell Bartimaeus, who throws off his cloak and springs up. "'What do you want me to do for you?' Jesus asks when the blind man approaches." My teacher, let me see again, Bartimaeus replies. Go, your faith has made you well, Jesus responds. Immediately, the Gospel writer tells us, Bartimaeus regains his sight and follows Jesus on the way. It's a beautiful and layered story. I love many aspects of it, and I'm happy to share those here. I love that Jesus heals the spiritual blindness of the surrounding crowd. Though Bartimaeus is a literally blind man in the story, it's the crowd— the blind man's friends, his peers, his culture, his society that renders him unseen. To their seeing eyes, a blind man by the roadside is invisible, and therefore expendable. His shouts and cries are not worthy of attention. His suffering is not important enough to warrant tenderness, patience, or even curiosity. When the invisible one dares to speak out, the only efficient and comfortable thing to do is to shut him up. The only priority is to restore order, re-establish the social hierarchy, and maintain the status quo that keeps the privileged comfortable. But that comfort is precisely what Jesus renders impossible. Once the crowd sees Bartimaeus, they can't unsee him. Once Jesus opens their eyes to his full humanity, they must respond with compassion. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. I don't know this for sure, but I suspect that Jesus heals the crowd first so that they can, in turn, participate in Bartimaeus' healing. What the blind man needs is not physical sight alone, He also needs visibility and validation within his community. In this double miracle story, Jesus grants them both. I love that Bartimaeus, in his blindness, sees what the crowd does not. He calls Jesus son of David, a title Jesus does not make public during his ministry. The Gospels make clear that Jesus' true identity remains hidden from most people until after the resurrection. Even his disciples struggle to understand who and what their teacher really is. It might be the case that most of Jesus' followers are too busy seeing what they want to see – a magician, a political and military leader, a carpenter's son, a wise man – to notice what the blind man, free of all such filters, discerns so quickly – Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God. We might say, then, that this is one of the rare and beautiful moments in the Gospels when Jesus himself is truly seen. Bartimaeus sees Jesus as wholly and purely as Jesus sees Bartimaeus. The gaze and the recognition of the story are mutual. I wonder if Jesus stops and stands still precisely because the blind man surprises and delights him with his visionary gift. Teacher, I see you. I love that Bartimaeus throws off his cloak and follows Jesus on the way. A cloak is both the beggar's covering and his livelihood. I imagine it's a cloak he wraps around his shoulders every night for warmth and security. A cloak he spreads out on the ground every morning to collect coins from passerby a cloak he folds again to gather up each day's meager earnings at nightfall. I am in awe of the trust Bartimaeus has in Jesus by the end of the story, a trust deep enough to enable him to cast aside what's most familiar and safe in exchange for a way that is new and full of uncertainty. In shedding his cloak, Bartimaeus sheds his identity. In setting out on the way, Bartimaeus becomes a disciple, a traveler, a pilgrim. He commits himself without looking back. He strains forward instead of clinging to history. He is, in the truest sense, born again. Finally, and this for me is the most precious, painful aspect of the story right now, I love that Jesus asks Bartimaeus to articulate his heart's desire. What do you want me to do for you? In one sense, it's a bizarre question. Isn't it obvious what Bartimaeus wants Jesus to do for him? He's a blind beggar, for goodness sake. How hard can it be to figure out what he wants? But Jesus asks anyway, He doesn't presume. He doesn't reduce Bartimaeus to his blindness. Instead, he honors the fullness and complexity of a real human being who likely has many desires, many longings, and many needs. In asking the question, Jesus invites Bartimaeus into the honest self-reflection essential to growth and healing. What is in your heart? What do you long for? What do you imagine I desire for you? Where in your deepest desires might we find each other? It is at once a lovely and a terrifying question. It calls for radical honesty, radical vulnerability, radical trust. One of my deepest desires right now is for my son's healing. I want his pain to end. I want whatever neurological condition is causing his migraines to go away forever. I want him to experience relief, joy, leisure, and fullness of life. As I said at the start of this essay, I don't know what to do with the fact that Jesus sometimes heals immediately in the gospel stories. I wish he would heal my son immediately. But for now, I know what to do with my desire. I cry it out to Jesus. I sit by the roadside, hear the crowds, and cry my longing into the air as loudly and insistently as I can. I do this because I believe Jesus wants me to. I do it because the question he asks is an essential one, and I need to hear it and answer it over and over again to keep my soul alive and kicking. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? In his compassion, Jesus will not stop asking, and in my need, I will not stop telling him. For books this week, Dan reviews Dying Well, The Resurrected Life of Jeannie Wiley Kellerman. On September 1st, 1998, Jeannie Wiley Kellerman collapsed on her bedroom floor from a seizure. Two weeks later, surgeons removed a tumor the size of an orange from her brain, which tumor turned out to be a grade 4 glioblastoma, a late-stage and extremely aggressive form of cancer. The prognosis for most people with her condition is measured in months. Only 3-5% to 5% of patients with glioblastoma live longer than 5 years. The Wiley Kellerman lived over 7 years, until December 31st, 2005. Her neurologist called her a walking miracle. This loving and tender tribute by her husband Bill, written 20 years after the events, tells Jeannie's story of dying well. This hybrid memoir is many things at once. It's an extended reflection on how Bill and Jeannie worked out their salvation within the vocation of marriage and their larger Catholic worker community in Detroit. It's an agonizing exploration of the complicated questions around treatment choices, conventional medicine, alternative therapies like ultrapheresis, and healing prayers. Family stories play a significant role here, including poetry, diaries, photographs, and letters. There are also theological reflections on social activism and spiritual formation within a well-defined Christian community. Most of all, this book is an extended disquisition on death, from a specifically Christian vantage point that suggests what it means to die sacramentally. With death all around us in its many and dreadful manifestations, our culture typically responds in fear and denial. To die well, then, requires an act of resistance. That is, a truly good death subverts the culture at its worst. And that's what Jeannie Wiley Kellerman did in her resurrected life, both here and in the hereafter. For Movies This Week, Dan Reviews Heroin. Huntington, West Virginia, population 48,000, has been called the overdose capital of America, and for good reason. Their overdose rate is about ten times the national average, roughly seven people each and every day. The filmmaker Elaine Sheldon, who has won a Peabody Award for her previous work, and who herself is a native of West Virginia, won an Oscar nomination for the short film, 39 Minutes Long, about the crisis. The documentary revolves around three heroines who are making a difference and who refuse to despair. Jan Radner, a nurse by training, is the first female fire chief in the history of West Virginia. Quote, I want to help people, she says, and she is unapologetic about providing the controversial naloxone, an opioid reversal medication brand named Narcan. Even if it takes 50 times to help a person make that one recovery. Patricia Keller is a judge who presides over the county drug court. Nisha Freeman started Brown Bag Ministry. Every Wednesday night, she drives the streets looking to befriend the drug addicted sex workers, providing them with food and shelter. This film is a frightening mashup of both causes and symptoms drugs, crime, poverty, homelessness, poor education, and unemployment. I watch this Netflix original documentary on streaming. And lastly, for poetry this week, The Opening of Eyes by David White That day I saw beneath dark clouds The passing light over the water And I heard the voice of the world speak out I knew then, as I had before Life is no passing memory of what has been Nor the remaining pages in a great book Waiting to be read It is the opening of eyes long closed It is a vision of far-off things Seen for the silence they hold it is the heart after years of secret conversing, speaking out loud in the clear air. It is Moses in the desert, fallen to his knees before the lit bush. It is a man throwing away his shoes as if to enter heaven and finding himself astonished, opened at last, fallen in love with solid ground. Thank you for joining us this week at JourneyWithJesus.net for October 28, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.